0: good to be with you this morning. It's a privilege to be able to preach. As you know, all that Carrie just shared with us that's in your bulletins, extremely important because it's part of our mission as a church, to follow Jesus every day, everywhere, with everyone. And that requires that we do this together. So it's not just a bunch of information. It's really important information. And I trust you've already adjusted your schedules. You're not planning on showing up at 11 next week. You're planning on showing up at, at 10. And in that way, we've been you know, going through the book uh, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, the book of Philippians. And as you know, last week, the series is A Life Like No Other. And, and last week, Pastor Drew taught on A Peace Like No Other. The peace of God from the God of Peace. And in that, he encouraged us to think about whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is praiseworthy, to think about such things. So I trust, as you left here that morning, that's all you thought about this entire week, right? And so, no? Okay, well, yeah, uh, me either. It's hard it's, it, you know to think about those things, but we're seeking after this peace, and, and so this morning we're gonna be looking at the book of Philippians, again, chapter four, and we'll be looking at verses 10 through 20. If uh, you are using your pew Bible, that is on page 955 in your pew Bible, and if you don't have a Bible and you're holding a red pew Bible, congratulations, it's yours. Take it home. Uh, we'd rather you read it than it sit in the pews all week. And so, 9:55. Uh, Feel free to circle, underline, mark, uh, take notes in the margin. We want you to engage uh, in the text. Today's sermon is titled "No Other Satisfaction." No other satisfaction. And I'm going to be reading from Philippians 4, verses 10 through 20. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I'm referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In any case, it was kind of you to share in my distress. You Philippians indeed know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs more than once. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that accumulates to your account I've been paid in full and have more than enough. I am fully satisfied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This concludes the reading of God's word. Well, my wife and I uh, recently, last week after a sermon on peace, we thought it might be a good idea to go uh, for a walk. And so we took a short drive up the coast, up to Malibu, and we have a dog and we have our newborn son. And so we thought, you know, let's go throw the ball uh, up on Pepperdine's lawn. Have you ever been to Pepperdine University? Have you seen their lawn? Yes? It's insane. It is huge. It's this huge grass lawn, and it's where I taught my dog how to play fetch. So I'm like, let's go. So we bring Salo along. We got uh, Benedict in the front carrier, and we're all set. We're throwing the ball with my dog, and Rebecca asks me the question. And it was one of those questions, you know, that just pierces you straight in the heart. She asked, Who told you you aren't enough? Oh, like, just chest-piercing. Who told you you aren't enough? And right there in that question, my life flashed before my eyes. I was like, wow, okay, Um, well, some coaches and some friends and some ex-coworkers and some ex-girlfriends. But we didn't talk about that because you don't talk about that with your wife. It's awkward. Um, Anyway, so, uh, yeah, I can think about uh, a few per, uh, people, right? And um, I don't know, I, I wonder, have, do you ever feel this way? Do you ever feel like you're not enough? Do you ever feel like everything and every, everyone around you might be trying to communicate something about you that you, for some reason, aren't enough? Hmm. Well, why do we feel this way? Well, I, I don't think it's a surprise. I don't think it's a surprise that we feel this way because society is full of reminders, isn't it? I mean, think about it. The billboards that you see as you're driving down the road, have you seen this one with Dwayne Johnson? I'm not going to, I mean, this guy is huge. He is like completely ripped. His arms are out. You're like, OK, I can never attain that. I mean, I guess I'm not enough. You look at magazines, right, and it's filled with all sorts of stuff, and you realize, maybe I don't have enough, and then you hear these advertisements that say, you know, if you only had more, then you could actually be enough. We're bombarded with messages that say that you don't have the right job, you don't drive the right car, you don't own the right home, you don't make enough money, you don't wear the right clothes, you're not in good enough shape, you're not smart enough, you're not skilled enough, should I keep going or are we depressed yet? I mean, <laughs> am I the only one that hears it? Okay, so consumerism though thrives off of convincing us we need more in order to be enough. We need to be more productive. We need to be bigger. We need to be faster. We need to be stronger. The truth is we've bought into it, literally. Like we think that if we, if we buy those shoes, then I'll be content. You know, if, I, if I'm driving that car, then maybe I'll be satisfied. It's the American dream, right? I mean, a, a house, two kids, white picket fence, three-car garage, maybe a boat, motor home, pool, hot tub, chef's kitchen, home theater, I don't know, some Wi-Fi speakers, surround sound. I mean, the American dream's kind of gotten a little bit bigger these days. But our growth as a society depends upon people feeling discontent, it's as if it were woven into our DNA. So as people, what do we do? What do we do with these feelings of being discontent? Well, we try to find balance, don't we? Yes, we continue to strive for more, we continue to try to be a success, we try to grow and, and, and increase, and we try to get to that edge, but we also want to enjoy what we have. And so we're like, how far can I go to that edge before I fall over, right? We're trying to do this balancing act of like, I want to achieve more, but I also want to enjoy what I have. And we can never be satisfied. And right there, I think of the Rolling Stones song, Right? You guys know it. I need your help. I can't get no satisfaction. That's right. We can't get no satisfaction, but we try and we try and we try and we try. And we do try. We try at least one of two things to try to gain this kind of satisfaction. The first I've mentioned is this idea of moderation. And I'm not suggesting that the Rolling Stones pursued this way. But satisfaction comes according to moderation, when you find that right balance. And yet the problem is we can never find that right balance. So we give up on moderation. We ditch it and we pursue happiness because happiness promises that we can actually achieve, right? We can achieve this satisfaction. If you just set your mind to it, if you just make a clear and wholehearted commitment, if you just try hard enough, you can achieve independence. Independence satisfaction, according to this pursuit of happiness, comes when you are self-reliant and self-sufficient. But God, in Philippians chapter 4, has something different in mind for us, and it might actually surprise you. Let's go back, Philippians chapter 4, I hope you put your finger in your Bible, open it up again. We're going to be looking at verses 10 and 11. Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I'm referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. Contentment. Oh, isn't that just a good word? It just feels good when you say it. It just has a soothing tone to it. Contentment. The Greek word for content is otarkes. Let me hear you say otarkes. Okay, so it's actually coming from two root words. Autos, meaning self, and archeo, meaning to be enough. So otarkes means I am enough. That word contentment is translated I am enough. Yet this is the only place in scripture where you will find this word. I believe it's the only place in scripture where you will find this concept. The reason, I don't believe it to be a biblical concept and that might be shocking to you. In fact, I think it's a stoic philosophy. See, in stoicism, contentment is defined by self-sufficiency, self-reliance, that you are enough in oneself. So what's Paul doing using this word contentment? Well, Paul is using this language that's familiar to a community that's been largely influenced by Stoicism. He's speaking their language in order to guide them towards Christ. I I love this about Paul, and this isn't the only place in Scripture where Paul does this. If you would, turn with me to Acts. Turn with me to Acts chapter 17. We were just there uh, earlier in the service. We were reading about the birth of the church, but Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 23. This is... A demonstration of how Paul enters into a culture and seeks to understand it. Then he uses something that would grab their attention to introduce them to Jesus. Check it out. Acts chapter 17, verse 22. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. You see what he's doing there? I mean, can you picture it? Paul's walking through Athens and he's studying, he's learning, he's observing, he's listening. And he's like, wow, okay, there's some things I can appreciate here. There's some things that these, these people are pretty good worshipers. And in fact, they're worshiping after this, this unknown God. And so he sees this opportunity and he takes that opportunity to introduce them to Christ. And I believe that that's what Paul is doing here in the book of Philippians. He's taking a word, contentment, that's, that's stoicism. It's a stoic philosophy. And he's using it to introduce them to Christ. Let's continue. Look again at Philippians 4, but now in verse 12. I know what it is to have little, Paul says, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any case, in all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. Did you catch that phrase, the secret? Did that grab your attention? That would have grabbed the attention of the church in Philippi because that phrase, the secret, was used in mystic cults. It was used for like an initiation. You had to know the secret in order to be initiated into this group. And it's interesting, I feel like, that there's a lot of similar things that are said today, right, like you wanna know the secret to life? Well, yeah, well, you gotta buy my book. You know, you gotta attend my seminar. You gotta listen to my podcast. You know, life gurus say things like, you want to know the secret to success? And you lean in. You're like, yeah, I do. They say, well, you have the resources in yourself to meet the demands of every situation. You're the master of your own destiny. Unleash the power from within. Think and grow rich. See, what's holding you back is your lack of imagination. If you could just picture it, then you could attain it. Do you hear it? It sounds a lot like self-reliance, doesn't it? A lot like self-sufficiency. It sounds a lot like stoicism. See, stoic philosophy is alive today. It's pumping through the veins of Los Angeles, both inside and outside the church. It's as if self-satisfaction has become America's religion. And I imagine, can you imagine Paul walking through the streets of Los Angeles. And he goes in, what, the Staples Center, and he has his huge conference, and he goes, I can do all things. We would lean in, wouldn't we? As Angelinos? you got my attention. I have a lot to do, and I want to know how to do it. So I'm leaning in. Well, that do, the Greek word for that word do, is ischu. Let me hear you say ischu. God bless you. Sorry, I I had to. It was there, and I'm like, I I have to do that. Okay. Anyway, that do means power. Let me hear you say power. Power. All right. Paul is saying, I have the power to handle any situation. And at this point, the Stoics are nodding in agreement. They're like, yeah, Paul. All the philosophers are leaning in to listen. What's he going to say? What's this power that he possesses? So let's look again at verse 13. This is one of the most quoted verses, and I believe one of the most taken out of context verses in all of scripture. But if you know it, let me hear you say it. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Some translations say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a great bumper sticker, isn't it? Paul's all-sufficient resources are not found in and of himself, he says. The secret power is found in the strength of Christ. The Greek word here for strength, and no, don't worry, I'm not gonna make you say it. I just wanna tell it to you, it's in dynamo. In dynamo, the root is dynamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who generates the power, and it being Pentecost Sunday. We're reminded of this power. We're reminded of when Jesus is telling his disciples in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1-8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be filled with dynamis through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul uses this very same language. Paul says, it's Christ who invigorates me. Christ who empowers me. So let's... Let's put this all together, okay? I have a Mike Morgan translation. Are you ready to hear it? Here we go. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. I have learned I am enough with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I have the power in all things through Christ who empowers me. See, Paul's self-reliance is really more like spirit reliance. Paul's self-sufficiency is really Christ's sufficiency. Paul's enoughness is not found in and of himself. No, the, the foundation for all of Paul's life and ministry is built upon one cornerstone truth, Christ alone is enough. But Paul didn't learn this overnight. It wasn't from one sermon, it wasn't from one workshop. I have learned, Paul says, I have learned satisfaction, a satisfaction like no other. As I'm thinking about this, I'm reminded of, well, I I do a lot of reflecting, Uh, these days in between bottle feedings and naps uh, with my son. And so that's where a lot of my reflection gravitates towards. And uh, I've been thinking about this idea of satisfaction, and I realized that my dog, Selah, knows more about provision than my 10-week-old son, Benedict. And I apologize if you're offended that I'm comparing my son to my dog. But it's true. And he's too young to know what I'm saying right now, so it doesn't hurt his feelings. Anyway, uh, Selah knows where her food comes from. She points to it with her nose. She knows from whom her water comes from. Because when, it's, when her bowl is empty, she ends up at my feet and she's whimpering. But Benedict, on the other hand, he has no idea He has no idea. All he knows is that he's hungry and it hurts. And so he cries, he roots, he does this like head shake thing. Have you ever seen kids do that? like, "Ah, ah." I mean, and he thinks, I I think he thinks that milk will come out of his fist. He's just like, he has no idea that it's mommy who produces milk and it's daddy who gives him the bottle. He hasn't learned this yet, but with time and experience, he will see, Paul's learning the satisfaction. His education in God's provision and sufficiency took time. It was developed from experience. Listen to these experiences that shaped Paul's trust. It's coming from 2 Corinthians chapter 11 if you're taking notes. But just listen to what Paul experienced. He says, five times I have received 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day, I was adrift at sea. Danger? Yeah, eight times over. From rivers and bandits, my own people, from Gentiles, in the city, in the wilderness, at sea, from even false brothers and sisters. I experienced toil and hardship, sleepless nights. I was hungry and thirsty, and I went often without food. That, t- that sounds like an intense experience. And that's what Paul is talking about when he's referring in, in Philippians 4:12. He says, "I know what it is to have little. I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I have learned to be content with whatever I have." This is not our American view of satisfaction. Contentment today says, you will find the greatest amount of joy when you are in control of your circumstances. But what Paul is saying is, I've learned to be satisfied in the midst of my circumstances. Paul is not claiming to be in control, he's not saying, I am satisfied because I am in control of my destiny or that he's content because he's living a serene and peaceful life. So as as Christians, if we're looking for health and wealth, if we're looking for safety and security, Paul is not your guru. But if we're looking to know the secret of satisfaction, Paul invites us to follow his lead. See, Paul knows a life filled with the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And all of this, and through all of this, and in fact, because of all of this, Paul learned satisfaction. Paul says, a life of Christ reliance, a life of Christ sufficiency is learned. And not only is Christ reliance and sufficiency to be learned, Christ's pro- provision is to be shared. Let's look again at Philippians 4. Verses 14 through 16. Paul says, in any case, it was kind of you to share in my distress. You Philippians indeed know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs more than once. There's two things I want you to notice in this passage. First is that Paul is not self-sufficient. Paul is in prison. It's impossible to be self-sufficient in prison. He had no way to provide for his needs. Reminds me of a, a time that I went to India. It was in 2004. It was right after the tsunami. You remember the 2004 tsunami that devastated so many countries and, and went like two miles inland in some places? Well, it, it devastated India. And so a group of five of us, we went to India to do kind of like, let, let's see what's going on and let's see how we as a church can support. And so while we're there, we run into this Christian family. It's uh, this father and mother and they're the patriarch matriarch of this church and then their, siblings, or their children, and uh, they had, I think they had uh, three children, and each had spouses. So there's about, what is that? I'm terrible at math. Eight. Uh, let's go with eight. There's eight of them there. And uh, one son says, you know, all my siblings and their spouses know what it is that God has for them to do. Some are uh, running a school. Some are, uh, you know, feeding the lepers and bathing the lepers. And, and there's all this stuff that's happening. But I don't know what it is that God has for me to do. And so I went to my father, and I said, Dad, I don't know uh, what God wants me to do. And, and my father said, well, have you prayed about it? I mean, have you ever heard that? Like, yeah, yeah I've, I've prayed about it. He's like, well, let's pray again tonight, and let's see what God has to say. So he goes to bed, and uh, as he's sleeping, he has this dream, and it's this man who's in prison. And he says two words. He says, please help. That's the dream. He wakes up the next morning, And he goes to his father, he goes, I had this dream, there's this guy in prison, and he just asked me to help him. And his dad's response is, well, you should probably help him. (laughs) And this man dedicates the next 10 years of his life to reviving and renewing prisons in India. And these prisons in India, if you are in prison in India, you are completely dependent upon your family and friends from the outside. They are the ones who bring you all the food and all the provision, all the clothes that you would need. There's nothing inside the, pr- the prison that can be for you. So picture that. And now picture Paul in prison. He is completely dependent. Paul is not self-reliant. If you notice, Paul says, I was in distress, I was in need. Paul needed help, and Paul received help. He didn't rely upon himself But Paul doesn't want us to misinterpret these gifts. He wants us to know that, you know what, this food that was delivered by people, yes, that's true, but the source, the source of this provision came from God. Yeah, people often offered the gift, but it was God who was the one who gave it. You've heard the phrase, your gift was a godsend, right? That's what he's saying here. Your gift to me was a godsend, but don't be confused. I don't owe you what you gave was actually a beautiful, sweet-smelling offering. No one it, It can become this exchange, this transactional relationship where someone gives you something and then you have to owe them something in return. And Paul's like, no, 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 that's not how this works. You're giving an offering to God and I'm receiving that offering from God. And I trust, he says later, he says, I trust that same God will provide for you for all your needs. It's not transactional, it's relational. The point of Paul is he he wants us to know that any peace I experience, any provision I receive, all of my contentment comes from Christ and is found in Christ. Paul wants us to recognize the source of his satisfaction is Christ alone. And chances are you will leave today having made one of two choices. You will either choose to seek after self-satisfaction, or you will choose to seek after Christ. And if you pursue self-satisfaction, you're in danger of missing the secret of satisfaction. However, If you pursue Christ and rely upon him, God's provision will be with you and you will learn that he is enough. When it comes to contentment, I believe that many of us, and myself included, have often our eyes in the wrong direction. We are fixated on being content. We become so self-absorbed in that. We become, life just becomes all about us. Do I have enough? Do I have too little? How do I maintain this balance? And it's just me, 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 and everything just gets tunnel-visioned into me. But when we focus our attention on Christ, we let go of our self-centeredness, we let go of our selfish ambition, and we shift our our attention away from self we place our attention on the Christ so here we are this morning about to take communion and we're reminded once again once again we are reminded that no we're not enough that our righteousness is not enough. There is nothing that we can do. There's no, no matter how righteous you think you are, you cannot attain the righteousness of God. But we are also reminded that we have a good provider. We have a God who sent his son that even while we were still sinners, even though, though while we were missing the mark, even when we weren't enough, Christ died for us. Christ is the one who is sufficient.